I'm Mark Arsenault. I'm the owner of Green Monster Landscapes in Dover, New Hampshire, specializing in hardscape and stonework, and I am a hardscaper. What's happening, hardscapers? This is episode 214 of the How to Hardscape podcast, where we talk about how you can start and grow your hardscaping business. And on today's episode, we have another I Am A Hardscaper interview where we bring on a hardscape business owner and do a deep dive into their business. And on today's episode, we have Mark from Green Monster Landscapes. You can find out more about him on his Instagram page, Green Monster Landscapes there. But before we get into the episode, we need to say thank you to our sponsors, Cycle CPA. If you need bookkeeping, accounting, CFO services, reach out to Cycle CPA at cyclecpa.com. Let them know how to hardscape sent you for $200 off their services there. We also want to say thank you to Inlight Outdoor Lighting. If you're looking to get into landscape lighting for your business, which I highly suggest that you do, Check out Inlight Design on Instagram. That's I-N-L-I-T-E Design. Shoot them a message and get that conversation started. As well as GPS tracking. If you need GPS tracking in your business, reach out to GPS Track It. That is on Instagram or gpstrackit.com slash howtohardscape. We'll be talking more about these companies later in today's episode. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. All right, Mark, let's get started to get to know a little bit about you yourself, how you got started in the industry. Uh, take this wherever you want. However, you got started in the industry, what brought you to today? And I'm sure I'm going to have lots of follow up questions for you. So take it away there, Mark. Yeah, sure. Um, so basically, my, my start in the industry was uh, building my first house and deciding to sort of take on the job of doing the landscape work myself. And um, it's sort of the timing aligned with um, my full-time job that I had, which uh, we sort of had an industry slowdown and was uh, temporary layoffs over the summer. And after doing my own house, realized I kind of enjoyed it. And I just sort of made up this little ad and pinned it up at a couple of uh, like hardscape suppliers in the area. And uh, a couple of phone calls came in and did a, a terrible tumble bluestone patio for someone that I'd be so embarrassed to show anyone now. <laughs> and uh, but apparently the guy liked it because he gave my name to his brother who needed a retaining wall and his neighbor needed a retaining wall. And um, so it just sort of uh, started snowballing from there. And um, I actually stayed on board with my full-time job for maybe a year or so. And it just, the work just came in so quickly and progressed so fast that I had to kind of make a quick decision and um, which was, yeah, I'd rather do this, I think. So. Gotcha. That's, that's a, an interesting start to the industry. It's typically, you know, I work for a supplier. I started long. Yeah. That's I, a very I, unique uh, entrance into the industry. A little sure. bit. Yeah. I never worked. I've never worked for another landscaper. Um, I was not in the industry at all. Yeah. So those, those first two walls that, that I mentioned, I, um, I mean, I didn't have any equipment and I sold those jobs. And, you know, there were, there were walls to tear down. It was actually waterfront walls. They were on a lake, you know, in the lake bed. Um, so I, <laughs> I really got thrown at the wolves pretty quick, but I didn't have an excavator, didn't have a skid steer, didn't know how to run an excavator. Um, and I bought two used bobcats and had them delivered to my house and learned how to run them. Um <laughs> A few weeks before the job started. So. Awesome. That's yeah. that's great. What was, uh, if if I may ask, and you can let me know if uh, you don't want to say it, but your previous job, previous career, what was that in? or what were you uh, Yeah, I was a field service engineer for um, a precision alignment company that uh, we worked on paper machines and printing presses and corrugators and basically any like stationary rotating machinery. Gotcha. So, gotcha. Yeah. So I did a lot of traveling and things like that. And, uh, 2000, so this was 2003. Yeah. And, uh, that was the year I started and actually the year my daughter was born. So I was also thinking about like not traveling so much. Uh, so it all kind of like came together that way. Okay. So then what was it that drew you to starting this business besides, you know, your own house, your own project, what what was the draw to getting into the hardscape and masonry side of things? Yeah, I don't know that I was ever super drawn to it until I started, you know, doing it 
myself, um, you know, for my own house. Um, And then I I just kind of liked it. I was drawn to the equipment a little bit. I thought it was, you know, I always thought Bobcats were cool. It'd be fun to run one of those. And, you know, any chance I had to to do so, you know, I would, Um, you know, I, I guess, and just being able to work in that environment where, you know, get to run equipment and build stuff, which I always like doing anyways. Um, and it just turned into something that, you know, I didn't know that I was going to want to do that, but it just developed real quickly after gotcha. I started doing things for myself. So then uh, you mentioned you posted a couple of ads and you got that ball kind of rolling and leads were starting to come in. Mm-hmm. Um, did you find that it you were your schedule was filled up quite a bit kind of right off the bat, having your own house to kind of use as a yeah, show? Yeah, I, I mean... I don't know if it filled up right away, but, you know, as they slowly trickled in between working full time, not only working full time, but working away from home. So it wasn't like, okay, well, I can work at this after work in the evenings. It's like, well, no, I live in New Hampshire and I'm in Pennsylvania for the week, you know, so it really became difficult to manage and I mean, I, I still remember my last job being like in Connecticut and like trying to order materials and schedule it and talk to customers like on my drive home. And it was just like, I, I just can't keep doing both, you know? And it was, it was kind of like just time to like, we got to do this without the safety net and see what happens. So, so that must be a difficult decision, especially with having a, a new daughter, like you said. Yeah, um, exactly. What, can you can you talk us through that decision making process with your family? And um, obviously, the big draw being that you're you're not traveling around, you can be with the family a little bit more. But uh, starting a business is quite the quite the jump off, right? It is. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's a lot of work. I I actually think back at it. You know, now that I'm like, well, I was 30 then and like I'm 50 now. And it's like, wow, how did I, how did I even pull that off? You know, I must have wanted that pretty bad because I think about it today and it's like, I don't know, that's too much work, you know, to to start something new like that. But like, and I worked a lot, like when, when you travel, like we typically did 10, 11, 12 hour days when, you know, we were gone in the field and, you know, you just the energy to be able to to do that. I don't, I really don't know where I, I gathered that from because I, I wouldn't be able to do it again today, but I don't know. It just came to the point. I, I think it was just like, this is, this is just too much. I can't do both. And I, I think I saw the potential that, well, I can be home more and I can work for myself and I'm going to be here to see my daughter grow up and all the things, that, you know, I don't want to miss all the stuff that, that she's going to do. So, you know, my wife had a job, her own job at the time. She eventually quit that job too and came to work for the company. But um, it really was just, there's these two things I'm doing. I can't do them both. What would I rather do? And then, you know, chose the one that I wanted to do, which is, which is this. So then uh, talking a few years, a little bit more than a few years after you start the business, um, the obvious thing here to talk about, uh, especially with where we kind of find ourselves coming to in the timeline of where we are right now, uh, with the where the market is, is the 2008 recession there. Were you kind of getting yourself established leading up to that recession? How did that, how did you feel during that recession? How did you kind of get through that? I've been doing this 20 years now and I've never been without work. And, and I, I do remember having, I think we had three crews around that time. And, you know, basically we, we all worked through that. So um, I don't ever remember feeling like, you know, we got hit by a recession and that it was, you know, a difficult time for us. So, I mean, I know there's a lot of talk about that, but you know, we had more of a mix back then. We we were doing maintenance at the time. We were doing mowing. We were doing plowing. We were doing all that stuff, which we don't anymore. But so perhaps that um, maybe was part of it. But um, you know, we've we've always had the, the the build work, install work as well, and never slowed us down enough, even through 08 and 09. That actually 09 was the year that we sold that first house that we landscaped and 
built a new home on the same property and and built a shop at the same time. So nice. Yeah. Awesome. So, so I guess two, I guess 09 wasn't that bad for us. <laughs> <laughs> so you brought up the maintenance, you brought up the snow plowing and how you're not yeah. doing those anymore. Uh, what was the decision to drop those? Well, um, the, the mowing was always hard because we were in a pretty rural area. Um, and just like, it, it just wasn't like suburbia where everyone had a, a lawn that needed to be mowed. You know, there's a lot of lakefront properties where we were. And a lot of them didn't have the big sprawling lawns. Um, you know, that, that was a lot of our business was these lakefront properties, but they just didn't have that sort of maintenance, you know? So it was always a lot of windshield time um, with our mowing, you know, and, and driving into two or three or four different towns, surrounding towns to do it. And then um, we just sort of stopped pursuing that side of the business slowly started losing accounts to attrition. You know, um, it wasn't that like we ever did bad work, but someone would sell a house and the new owner wouldn't hire us, or we had a municipal contract that ran out and someone else got it, or we didn't rebid it. And it got to the point where it just like, it wasn't worth it anymore. Um, and then we, uh, I just found someone and sort of was like, just kind of handed them to them. Hey, if you want these, they're yours, and, you know, take them over. So, and then we held on to sort of the seasonal cleanup work for a few years. Felt that it was like, well, it's a good start to the season. Like, Oh, we got, you know, 300 yards of mulch to do or, or the end of the season. Like, Oh, we have these spring cleanups to do. And that was okay for, for a few years too. And then as the design build portion kept growing, all the maintenance stuff just sort of became a headache and like an obstacle. Like we have all this build work to do and we got to pull people off of it for cleanups and or for mulching or for pruning. And eventually it was just like, we got we less, we, we finally got rid of all that too. and just strictly became design build. So then now in the winter time, do you still do a little bit of snow plowing to keep the guys busy or no, do you no. keep on? Yeah. Build no, all throughout yeah. the winter? No snow plowing, plowing at all anymore. Yeah. Um, we're generally trying to do some sort of project through the winter. I mean, it's never like it is in the summer. You know, it's winter's tough. It's it's hard conditions, but sometimes just enough to, you know, uh, break even, make payroll, keep the guys busy. I actually made a decision last year to not... Uh, take on a winter project at all. Um, it just felt like everyone needed a break. Like we needed some downtime. We, uh, we launched synced up this winter, which like, there's no way we would have got all this stuff done. If we had, if we had another project going, um, I had five different designs with, permitting that had to be done. So um, there was just so much, like I said, and everyone needed a break. Everyone really needed a break. So it, it was, it was good timing this year to have a few months off. And then, so as you kind of continue to build the business, you drop off maintenance, snow plowing, um, where does, or has it always been a part of your business model to do those beautiful incorporations of natural stone into your projects and, and all that? Has that always been from the very beginning or have you kind of evolved into that? Um, no, I think, I think we've always done a little bit of that. Um, like we've always sort of have done this thing with boulders a lot. Um, we're just in an area where we have a lot of them and they're, you know, readily available and I always enjoyed mixing them into walls and then the patios and the paperwork. Um, I think it's just, it's becoming a little bit more prevalent. More so now I'm doing more natural stone. And I mean, the story is kind of long. Maybe we can get into it now. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, I've downsized a lot. So, so to, to make a short story long, um, so I did mention my wife got into the business and then after 13 years of business, uh, we separated and then we got divorced. So 
we had a, we also had a minority partner. So we basically, I would run a crew, my minority partner would run a crew, she would run a crew, and then both of them decided to leave the business at the same time. So 2020, right at the onset of COVID, I had kind of restarted the business almost with just me as the sole owner and a small crew. So, you know, we went from three crews three install crews to one. Um, and then I progressively started only, or I shouldn't say only, but being much choosier about the work that I took on because it was easier to take on work that I wasn't really excited about when I could send someone else to do it. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. So, you know, I, I didn't want to take on jobs that I like that I wasn't going to enjoy that I didn't want to do that didn't get me excited. So, um, and I like to think that like it shows now in my portfolio that, um, you know, the, the work's a different level and it's, uh, I don't know. It's it's more signature style, I guess, than than what we used to do. Right. Like did okay. away with like the first thing I did was call the builders we were working for and was like, "Sorry, but yeah, I'm not gonna be able to work with you guys anymore. No more cookie cutter patios and walkways and you know all those things that I just you know they they were fine when we had three crews and." you sort of needed to feed the monster a little bit more than you do when you're, you know, smaller company with four or five guys, um, or even the, the first year was just three of us. And then we've, uh, I, you know, built back up a little bit, but, and I'm just choosier about, you know, doing what I want to do at this point, you know, doing projects I'm interested in that excite me that, you know, I feel like I align with the customer and they're going to give me some creative freedom. Um, and just, I just find my work way more enjoyable now that I'm kind of, I have more control of that process. I want to interrupt this episode to talk to you about GPS track it. When it comes to running a landscaping business, the question isn't what do you do, but what don't you do? If it's not a customer that needs your attention, it's one of your drivers or one of your vehicles. But you already know that GPS Track It exists to help you know more than what you already know, like the most efficient routes to maximize your service potential, like whether or not your vehicles and crews are where they're supposed to be like how to save unnecessary fuel costs and other costs. And we're going to be covering the benefits of GPS tracking in the future on this podcast. So we're going to continue with the benefits of GPS tracking, but we'll let our fleet advisors give you the full picture. Call 866-693-1291 or go to gpstrackit.com slash how to hardscape. Once again, that's 866-693-1291 or go to gpstrackit.com slash how to hardscape. Link will be in the show notes. Absolutely. So I want to ask you then, what what is an ideal Green Monster Landscapes project? What is that uh, that one that comes in and you get really excited to design it, get into that and get ready to build it? Yeah, well... I don't know. I mean, I guess if I have to uh, like pick an example from this year was like the job we're about to wrap up here. Um, we've been on for two months now. And, you know, this was actually one of my first jobs that actually came from Instagram. And it's also one of my biggest single projects, you know, not staged all at once. So it's a nice mix of stuff. It's an outdoor kitchen. So there's there's natural stonework. Um, with the kitchen, with the seat walls, but we also have paver patios and then we have natural flagging. Um, I guess ideally, like I, like anything with stone, really, anything with stone, um, it actually looks very much like the drawn design, but, you know, there's still, every design to me is a bit conceptual and there's got to be some room like in the field as you're building it for, you know, sort of artistic interpretation. So 
Yeah, as long as you know we have a little bit of that and we're using um, you know, either pavers and you know, I don't mind using pavers. I think we do some cool and fun stuff with pavers too. Um, but definitely when there's some natural stone elements to the project, um, that's what I'm gonna really be interested in working on. So because of the natural the uniqueness of natural stone and like you were talking about there, the artistic uh, sort of process of shaping that natural stone and the randomness of natural stone. Um, how do you communicate that with a client or are you specifically trying to find those clients that understand that part of natural stone, right? Where uh, it's really up to the artist on site essentially as to how that's going to look. It's a little bit difficult to communicate that as opposed to pavers, which are much more easier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really can be. I mean, I find myself sharing, um, you know, photos of our previous projects a lot, you know, because uh, people just don't know, you know, when you're saying like, oh, we're going to build you a stone wall. Or we're going to build you a paver patio, you know, and then they don't always realize what you can do with the materials and what, you know, how creative you can be. And, and, and people, I think more people than not are pretty conservative until you sort of show them what you, what else you can do with it. Um, and then sometimes they're even, you know, they, they, like they bend a little bit and then they still don't really realize what they're going to get until it's done. And then typically they love it. Um, funny little stories. We just did a patio for a guy um, up here on one of the lakes. And we did his sister's house right next door like three years ago. And um, so we did her patio, which was like just three-piece paver, uh, same color border. And then we did his this year and we used, I think we used three different pavers in it and we did some curvy swirly stuff, which is sort of what a lot of my stuff has in it. And um, she came over one day when, when we were there and she said, how come I didn't get a patio like this? And I said, well, like three years ago, I was still listening to what my customers wanted for one. <laughs> and, and two, like she's a landscape designer. I'm like, you're a landscape designer. and you know, you, you told me what you wanted. So I did it. And your brother actually said that he wanted exactly what you had. And I said, okay. And then I gave him this. So, <laughs> so I, you know, he kind of let me do what I wanted to, even though he told me like, I want one just like my sister, but I was just like, well, yeah, I'm not really, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this instead. So with, you mentioned, the first job from Instagram there. Have you found yeah. that people are starting to take notice of your work and wanting to like that first job from Instagram? Are they looking at your Instagram feed and saying, I want that. This is kind of the inspiration that I want on my site. Um, or, or how, how did that conversation go when somebody reaches out to you from Instagram? Um, you know what? I, I mean, I don't know that I've seen a ton of other leads yet from Instagram. Um, I know everyone seems to say this, but it really does feel like most of our stuff is word of mouth. Um, you know, cause I find like, even though, even when I get like a website inquiry, it's sort of like, then I dig a little deeper and they like, well, we, we talked to so-and-so or we saw a project you did here or there. And, um, but yeah, I mean, we're trying to grow the Instagram and trying to get more projects from there. So, you know, it's kind of a, as you know, I mean, Instagram is a big time suck, but, you know, hopefully soon it's going to, you know, it'll pay dividends eventually, I suppose. Right, right. Yeah. And um, so getting into that, when a when a client or potential client does contact you, what does that look like? What does that uh, conversation look like in terms of uh, pre-qualifying to make sure that they are or could be a good fit for Green Monster? Yeah, I mean, I'm typically trying to find out some specifics about the kind of work that they want done, um, you know, what kind of products they might be interested in, uh, what they've already looked at, like if they've been to a supplier, have they checked anything out, have they looked at things online, and just sort of get a feel for like how deep their research has been 
already is sometimes a, a decent indicator of how serious they are. Um, and one of the things I've been doing a lot more of lately too is, is trying to get like people to send me some pictures and send me some rough dimensions. You know, we sort of have this technology in our pocket now, you know, instead of running out, like we used to do like 10, 15 years ago, it's like, Oh, I got to call. I got to go run and look at this project. And you get there and it's like, Oh my goodness. You know, this was a waste of time and sort of being like in a rural area. I mean, you know, I could go be looking at a job that's 30, 40 minutes from home. So yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to sort of like put your eyes on that, like on through a text message, a picture or an email, put your eyes on it before you, you know, you kind of make that trip out there and realize it's easier to tell right away. Like, well, this probably is not for me or, and, and the way we are now, nowadays, it's, you know, one of the first questions is also like, what's your time frame? Because like, let's figure that out first, because if it's like 30 days or even 60 days, but there's not much sense of going much further here if you're really married to that time. And how about product selection? When do you get into that type of process? Or are you, um, perhaps the best way to go about this would be that initial consultation. Uh, what, what, uh, how are you scheduling that? And what type of questions are you asking them on that initial consultation? Um, yeah, I mean, that, that usually comes up right away, that initial consultation. I mean, especially if it's a smaller project, like, oh, we're just looking for a patio and maybe a front walkway with matching materials or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, you know, we'll talk about that, that pretty early. And then I find like in the bigger projects, it's more about um, sort of getting them locked into a design contract so that that way there we're not i'm not spending a bunch of my time like trying to figure all these these details out without like you know let's make sure that this is going to go somewhere you know get them on board for design and then you know get a little bit more concerned with the um the concept that we're working on and then and then we drill down into materials, you know, a little bit later on. Got it. Got it. And then, uh, so that initial consultation, uh, do you charge for it? Uh, yes or no? And why or why not? Um, I haven't been. I mean, I know there's a lot of new talk about that. And I think about it a lot. Um, so I don't charge directly to the customer that's, I've had this argument with a few guys and I'm not, I don't know. I don't charge directly to the customer, but like it's in my budget as unbillable time that I'm spending every year, like looking at jobs. So I guess to some degree, it's kind of maybe it, you know, irks me a little bit like that the people that don't hire me sort of get the free consultation. It's free to them, you know, but someone else is paying for it because it's you know, people that are actually hiring us. It's that's where it's built in. So um, I mean, I'm not, a, I, I guess I'm not opposed to it. I don't know. It just, you know, 20 years of not doing it, but I, I do, I, I do feel like there is a need for it. Um, but it's also when, when I see that a job has the potential to be a significant project, that's also why I try to get into like, so the free estimate basically on, on that is like, it's just me like whipping out a canned estimate on the design and send it off. So, you know, once, once they're committed to the design, it's all billable from there on out. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the same thing. I don't do paid consultations either. And um, with that being said, you did mention uh, trying to get them signed up, especially if it's a larger job for that design. Where does that conversation start? And is that a deal breaker to go out there um for that initial consultation like are you trying to sign up larger jobs for a design prior to that initial consultation or afterwards or is that kind of flexible as well um yeah i guess it's flexible i mean more and more of our work the past three or four years has been the larger scale projects and they're just i mean there's just too much going on in them that i mean 
it's one thing to go do a patio like with a hand sketch or like I mean, you know, myself and my guys, we've been doing this long enough that and they're good enough that it's like, all right, here's a, you know, it's a 12 by 18 patio or whatever. And we this is these are the this is the field and this is the border. And like they can handle that. You know, they don't really even need a sketch that I could whip them up a little sketch and like this is the pattern or whatever. But I mean, that's smaller stuff, really. Um can of spray paint. And, uh, you know, the, the estimate or the proposal with the description of what we're doing is sufficient. But when you get into these projects that, um, you know, have multiple um, elements to them, you know, and uh, grades and different products, and um, it, it just... It, it does it makes sense to to have the design? You really can't do them effectively without them, because then you're figuring out what to do on site, and either we're going to pay for that because we didn't figure that time in, or it's time and materials, and the customer is going to pay. They're going to pay for it either way. They're going to pay for your time on site to figure this stuff out, or they're going to pay ahead of time and know exactly what they're going to get by having a design. Absolutely. And then when you're actually sending that proposal, how do you typically structure your proposals? Are you doing a full lump sum price for the project? Are you splitting that into work areas and showing a breakdown of each of those work area pricing? Or how, how do you go about your proposals? Yeah, I mean, there's typically some kind of breakdown. Um, sometimes it's more than I actually want it to be. Um, I'm, I'm trying to get away from that a little bit, but um, you know, the synced up software is also sort of driven towards work areas as well. So it's sort of like, I was starting to get away from it some, and now I'm finding myself back into it, you know? But uh, it, I mean, people do like to pick and choose what they want, but some of these bigger scale things, it's like, well, I mean, you, you can't really do this without doing that, you know? So an example is I just, you know, we, we sold the patio for this year, but sort of on a slope, they need a little retention. They need like a two foot, like we could just like stack some boulders on an edge. But so I broke out patio and retaining wall and then she didn't break the retaining wall. And it's kind of like, <laughs> oh, that was, oh, that's on me. Like that was stupid. I should, you know, gotcha. we got to do it. So now I'm going to break it to her. It's like, well, we're still going to build a retaining wall, you know? Right. So what do you want? You want me to do the cheapest way we can so that like you, you can keep your, your budget or, um, but it's all, I mean, if it's a big project too, you get up into, you know, hundred, 125 or 50 or more to just throw out that number like that. I think people, most people want to, um, see a little bit of a breakdown, but I don't know. Every time I think I have people figure it out, I, I don't. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. When it comes to uh, a payment structure for projects, uh, what are you typically, do you have a typical percentage up front, percentage yeah. progress payments, percentage at the end, or is that flexible? Yeah, I guess flexible is a good word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all over the board on that sometimes. I don't know. I'm my own worst enemy at times, but I don't like to take a lot up front. So my, my down payment, like usually is I'll send a proposal, they'll accept it. And it's usually like 10%. And I, the reason I do that is because we're always booked out so far. I always feel like if people are giving me 25, 30, 50% up front, and like this, is, this has happened. It's not just like I feel, this has happened. When they give you that much money up front, then they constantly hound you about when you're going to be there. You know? So it's like, I don't want all your money right now. Just give me a little bit to put you on the schedule. It, I know that you're there and not like you're going to get your nephew to do it in the meantime. But, but I also don't want to be hounded every week about when we're going to be there. So to me, it's sort of like, well, you know, I told you August and it's still August, maybe September, you know? And when, that when you have like, I don't know, $25,000 of theirs and you've been sitting on it for three months I feel like they get antsy and they're always haunting you and pushing you to, to show up. So that's like a stressor I can do without. And I rather like collect the money for the work I'm actually doing. 
And uh, so it's usually like 10% and then we'll do um, 50% and then ends up being the balance when we finish. That changes a little bit on the bigger jobs where we do progress payments. Um, we've also done uh, larger scale projects that were T&M um, where I've just gotten a, a draw every you know three weeks or something. So I'm just flexible with it and I, I change it depending on the project. You work hard to build a successful business. And because of this, it is important to work with companies that you can trust, rely on, and whose missions are to give you the highest quality product and customer support. Low voltage outdoor lighting is one of the easiest ways for you to grow your business and increase revenue. Using lighting can make you more profit, add that wow factor, and make your business stand out. Whether you are already using outdoor lighting in your hardscape projects or not, it's time you check out InLight Outdoor Lighting. As a professional hardscaper, we know that you need efficient installs, less callbacks, and premium products to have a successful and growing business. InLight's got you covered. They've created some of the most premium and unique lighting on the market to make your project stand out and wow your clients with their unmatched light quality. It gets better. InLight has an unbeatable customer support team, provides many educational resources like online and in-person training, installation videos, and so much more. They care about your business growth and will be with you every step of the way. For more information on how InLight can help you grow your business, check them out on Instagram at in light design that's at i n l i t e design on instagram dm them to find out how to put more money in your pocket this season now back to the podcast so then mark my next question after that is uh could be related to the payment structure depends on where you want to take this but it's a question i ask everybody that comes on the show and that is a horror story that you've experienced from your time in business. Uh, it doesn't have to be payment related necessarily. It could be job site related, could be employee yeah. related. But the reason why I ask horror stories from everybody is for those contractors just starting out or thinking about getting into this and just to prepare them for what can happen, maybe put guardrails in place to prevent these things from happening to them in the future. But Mark, yeah. do you have a horror story that you'd want to share here? I don't know that. Well... I don't know that I have a real horror story. Maybe my biggest horror story is working with my ex-wife in the business for four seasons between separation and final divorce. So that was a rough four years of business. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was tough, but we're past that. So things are better Good. now. But um, horror stories. I remember having two really difficult customers the same year back to back. Um, and I don't know why they were like sweethearts to start. And then they just turned into, they turned evil, you know, for no apparent reason. So weird. I don't know. People are weird sometimes, but I don't know. But I don't major horror stories. Uh, we had a guy drive a skid steer into a, a septic tank that knew was, he knew was there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's rough yeah. yeah and then so uh um the, the guy that was running the job went he had a cdl we had a 12 ton excavator at the time so we went back to the shop grabbed the 12 ton excavator and and uh, pulled it out of the septic tank wow uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of like you know like one tire was in it was like oh, okay like a, maybe a 35 degree angle in the in the tank um what else for the story? Well, going back to that 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 client there that you mentioned kind of changed throughout the project and you you couldn't really tell what uh what kind of happened there. How do you manage the remainder of the project there where something like that might happen? How do you get past those things or is it just a matter of head down, let's get this job done and let's get out of here? I think I think at that time, that point in my career, it was um head down and like let's get this done and get out of here. Um, I would probably handle it differently today. Well, I think today I would see the red flags earlier um, through experience and through, well, I don't want to call myself mature because 
that'd be a stretch, but through maturity and experience, I think, um, you know, you're better at picking up some of those cues earlier on, you know, and not just like, and certainly like, I'm not like I used to be where it's like, oh, you know, we got to sell this job. We got to sell this job. We got to sell this job. Whereas, you know, I'm a lot choosier now. Probably today I would, I would have smelt that out earlier in the process. And now I would probably just have to like, all right, call a timeout and just have a discussion. Like, I'm not sure what's going on or if you're not happy or what we, if we need to do something different to change the way this is going, but it certainly doesn't seem like it's going in the right direction. How can we fix it? But um, I'm just more hopeful that I don't have those sorts of experiences anymore. Yeah. Cause I just, I mean, I really love what I do. I enjoy this a lot. I enjoy the interaction with my customers. Um, and feeling them out beforehand is is part of that, you know, and knowing if you're going to be a good fit together personality-wise. Um, Mark, you've mentioned a couple of times being choosy for projects and allowing yourself to choose the right clients, choose the right mm-hmm. projects. Do you find that your unique designs and incorporating those that natural stone into your projects, do you think, or do you find that over the course of years that having that in your portfolio has set you apart from others in your same market that has allowed you to be more choosier or um, is it word of mouth that has built up over many of years that have, that has brought a lot of different leads in what, what has allowed you to be more and more choosy through the years on projects? Well, I I mean, I think part of it right now is the demand. Yeah. So um, hopefully that continues. I'm I'm feeling, I feel like there's going to be a little bit of a slowdown. I don't know how significant it will be. Um, I mean, even our phones are a little bit slower right now, but I'm also seeing that the stuff that's coming in is also interests me. So, um, yeah, I wish I knew, I guess. (laughs) I I I mean, I'd say, I'd say your natural stone, the, the incorporation of that in the unique projects that you've done, I'm sure People want that and that that makes them want you, right? Or the green monster touch. I think, sort of I think so. I think so. And part of it is um selling, I guess selling what you like to do, selling what you're good at. Um, you know, posting on Instagram what you want to sell, or putting on your website what you want to sell. We did redo, have a pretty major revamp of our website. Uh, was it last winter or the year or the winter before maybe and like i took down a lot of stuff that like oh god that was like a paver patio i did in 2012 like i think we can retire that picture you know uh it it put on a lot more stonework on our website so yeah i mean it's one of the common i mean conversations i think in the industry is like you know post and publish what what you want to do like not the other stuff because yeah if you're posting a bunch of like little walkways people are going to call you for little walkways if you want to do these larger scale stone projects and full design build then those are the sorts of things that that you need to show so uh, i'm making an effort to do to do a lot more of that than i used to and not just be like well you know and as you're the longer you're in business, the greater your portfolio becomes. Uh, you don't have to like throw out every single paper project you've ever done. Get a lot pickier and show the creative stuff and show the show the stonework and the things that you really want to do, things that are interesting. With um, equipment, installation practices, especially with natural stone, uh, is there anything that has helped you along the way in terms of equipment or recently that you've purchased in your business for equipment uh, or want to purchase in the near future? And same thing for installation practices, things that you live by in your business uh, that have um, really shaped your business. I will just throw that question out there as is equipment, installation practices that you live by, anything that you want to touch on there? Uh, certainly installation practices, the uh, open graded base has been uh, a big change for us that I wish I had done so long ago. 
And there were things that I did years ago, like with open grade and like, I don't know why the connection was never sort of made that, like, cause I've always sort of done my raised patios open grade. And um, I remember my first walls that I ever was doing, I was doing like the, the three or four feet of excavation and then filling it all with, with stone and then the geogrid and the stone. And then everyone was like, oh, that's stupid. Like, you shouldn't be doing that. Like, you should, you, you're, you're hauling material out that you can use for your backfill. And then you're buying more stone. And it's like, and now that's that's the standard now, you know? So it's like, okay, well, I guess I was on to something even way back then. But yeah, I mean, stone is so much easier to work with than dense grade. It just has so many advantages. It's It's crazy. So... I'm, I'm glad that's sort of become industry standard to some degree, I guess. It's kind of regional, I suppose, you know, whether or not you have good accessibility to uh, 57s or clean stone or whatever you want to call it. But it's made our life so much easier with open grade and just so many more benefits to it in a freeze-thaw environment but like us and like, like you're in as well. So... Um, so yeah, from an installation side, I mean, that's one of the big ones for us. Uh, equipment wise, um, the two biggest ones for me, definitely uh, suction equipment um, with the amount of stone we're doing as well, you know, large scale, large format, flagging, stone steps, uh, being able to do all that with suction equipment and without straps and pry bars and all that sort of stuff has been uh, such a great advancement in what we're doing. And then, um, yeah, we actually did this big project that we've been sort of talking about is that it's the first time, well, yeah, first time I've mach used machine suction to set pavers. So we were doing um, you know, two by three slabs with suction equipment and it was like blown away by how fast like, we laid down seven pallets of slabs. So that's um, anybody I would like recommend to anybody, like if you're not using suction equipment, then check it out for sure. And then, um, and then the tilt rotators are, they're just amazing. Like it, I'm just blown away by how they've changed the way we work. They have made everything so much easier, uh, getting away without having another machine on a job site. Um, it just really changed the whole flow of how we do things now. So much, so much different, so much easier. So we have two machines now with, uh, with rotators. And yeah, so last year we had one with, one without, and it got to the point where it was like no one wanted to be in the other one, you know. And then when you got in it, you're like, "Oh my god, this is so stupid! I can't even spin this bucket around." Like, <laughs> I, need to, I need to get the uh, I need to get my material over there. But like, you're just like trying to, you know, flip it out with the bucket the old fashioned way instead of just spinning it around and placing it exactly where you need it. It's crazy that like we we didn't jump on this technology, like as North America before <laughs> now, but uh, it was almost a, we threw one on a machine cause we needed a, we needed to spend some money for tax write off. Yeah. So and we kind of had like all new equipment, but it was, oh, we got to spend some money or give it away to uncle Sam. So we put one on and here we are like the biggest proponent of having the tilt rotator. It's an amazing, it's an amazing addition. And like it went like half the cost of the half again the cost of the machine or half the cost added on to it's worth every penny. Worth every penny. Yeah. Every yeah. I would no regrets at all. Amazing. Yeah. Now you have two of them. Yeah, we have two uh we have five ton and a six ton excavator in each. Each has the same size. Um I don't know, what do you call it? rotator so all the they're all interchangeable between the two 
I just want to take a break from today's episode to talk about our sponsor, Cycle CPA. You may have a CRM or project management software in place, but what data are you using to ensure your estimating is accurate? Having a proper accounting setup and accurate bookkeeping done is key to understanding overhead expenses and other costs that must be recouped in your estimates. Cycle CPA is a remote bookkeeping and CFO firm that helps to connect the dots from the financial reports to the hardscape and landscape data needed in order to reach high profits. They provide landscape and hardscape industry benchmarking, job costing financials by service line, advisory meetings, and much more. Cycle CPA's team of accountants are specialized within the hardscape and landscape industry, and you can visit them at cyclecpa.com and for $200 off, mention the How to Hardscape podcast. Now back to our episode. Mark, a couple more questions for you before I uh, let you go here. One yeah, sure. being uh, anybody that has helped you along the way that you want to give, give a shout out uh, or people that you look to for inspiration. This could be online, offline, but uh, any mentors, anybody that you want to give a shout out here? Well, like I'm old, right? So um, like no one helped each other 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a couple like online chat boards and stuff, I guess, where you could like, you could ask a question, but like you had to prepare yourself to get like beat up. Um, but yeah. And I don't even know if those, any, how many of those guys, I know some of them are still in the game, but um, every once in a while, like out of the blue, I'll connect with one of those guys from like way back when, but um, you know, with, with Instagram now it's, it's been great. Cause like you connect with so many people. And I talk about Instagram being a time suck, which it is. Um, but I do like building the reels and doing the stories and stuff. They're fun. But certainly the, the greatest benefit that I've seen from Instagram is like the collaborations I've had and these other guys that have joined me on some of my projects. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's been a few, especially the Stone guys. I mean, my my Stone game has like improved Oh God, like I don't even know how to put a number on it. Like multi-fold in the past three seasons, just from working with um guys that I was following on Instagram that you know I sort of reached out to and we started talking. And uh it, it started with the first guy that came up and worked with me was uh Stone Bear, Stone Bear Mason. He's from Massachusetts, and uh, he came up, he worked a few days with me on a pro. I begged him come up and help me out for a few days on a project, which he did. And, um, and then he introduced me to uh, Matt or I, everyone goes by an Instagram handle. Right? Yeah, That's exactly. how we know people. So exactly. it's, it's, uh, it's margin mallet. And he was actually just, he was just up, in, up here with me for the past two weeks and a uh, great guy. Like we have a great time working together and uh, he's taught me so much about, um, you know, building dry stone walls and uh, using chisels and hammers uh, to a degree that like, I never even realized was possible. Um, another guy is uh, Instagram ski, Graham Wallerzik, who is a um, very talented, creative sort of guy as well. Uh, so we've done, we've done a, quite a few projects together uh starting the end of last season he jumped in with me on some stuff and really helped me get through a couple of key projects that we were really uh needed to get done before winter set in so uh, his his help was really instrumental on those and he's even helped me i'm building an outdoor fireplace here at my house he's been working with me on that and he worked with me on this outdoor kitchen that we just did so um you know, definitely these guys that I've, you know, actually worked with probably have had the most impact, uh, you know, on, you know, we just being together and actually building things together, you know, is so much different than like seeing someone on Instagram. But I mean, there's other guys out there too that I mean, Masco, he does some really cool stuff. Um, the New England land artisan, Phil, I uh, really admire his work. Um, another guy who does a lot of really cool natural stone work blended with pavers and 
manufactured products is um, Alex from Inca Stone. Yeah, he does some, he, uh, like, if people are not following him, they should, because he does a lot of really cool work, high quality. Um, if just, yeah, I've talked to him a few times on the phone. Really nice guy and, like, spectacular work. And, yeah, anybody that, like, anybody that does cool stuff with granite, cool stuff with rocks, or even, like, mixes the two pavers, and stone together. I always admire that that sort of stuff and enjoy checking that stuff out. All right, Mark, uh, a final question for you, but it's a big one. Uh, uh, what is one thing you know now that you wish you knew from the very beginning? This could be business related. This could be personal related. You can take this wherever you want to go okay. with it. But uh, what is that one thing you know now that you wish you knew from the very beginning? There might be a couple, but... You know, I think the biggest one might be that the customer is not always right. Um, and I I think that's especially true from, like, I don't know if I should say the design perspective, but like how you're supposed to build something or materials you should be using or and I see a lot of new guys like on Facebook and some of these groups are like, you know, they'll post something and it's kind of like, eh, I don't know about that. And they're like, well, that's what the customer wanted. That's what the customer wanted. Like, yeah, but this is your portfolio you're trying to build, you know, and just because a customer wants you to do something that doesn't make sense or isn't right or isn't going to look good, like doesn't mean you should do it. You know, be the, be the expert, be the voice of reason, be the, you know, and I think there's a fear of people starting out that, well, I don't want to lose the job by not doing what they want. But I think you have to be uh, more persuasive to, to teach these customers or educate these customers as to, you know, how you can do this, how you should do this, what's a better way to do this versus maybe what's, you know, what's sort of they've developed in, in their mind as what they want. Um, and maybe sometimes it just means that, you know, you have to walk away from something that's, that you're really not going to want to be associated with when it's done. That's something that hasn't been brought up yet. Uh, okay, good. So that's, that's a great, <laughs> I don't know, good. great maybe topic. Maybe it's not good. I don't know. No, Somebody that is, might beat that me up excellent. over that. But. <laughs> Customer's not always right. I like that piece of advice. Um, it's in, like you said, you see things kind of pop up and, seems to be the excuse people give is it's what the client wanted and uh, yeah. like you said like you mentioned you redesigned your website to show projects that you want to sell right yeah, and, exactly uh, want to yeah. be associated with with your business name right right yeah for sure yeah well exactly. Ma mark uh, it's been an hour so i want to say thank you so much for your time on uh, this Friday early evening and uh, taking the time to do this interview. If uh, Where do you want to send our audience to? Where can they find out more about you, yourself, what you've got going on? Yeah, well, it's it's Green Monster Landscapes. And uh, I think that's the Instagram handle, Green Monster Landscapes. Uh, Facebook website is gmlandscapes.com. So yeah, we're out there in all those different places. So where does the Green Monster come from? Well, it comes from, it's a reference to the Red Sox. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, I'm a pretty uh, mellow fan at this point, but back in 03 and 04, uh, kind of like when the company launched, I was, uh, I was a pretty intense fan at that point. Gotcha. But, you know, a real Yankee hater back then. Um, but, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've won a few World Series since then. So <laughs> I've kind of calmed down a little bit. <laughs> Boston has not done bad recently in uh, the big sports, so you can't uh, can't complain, I guess. Nah, I can't complain. And, and you know what? I finally realized. Well, I'm not out there. There's nothing I can do. So I gotta. I'm not gonna lose any more sleep. Over <laughs> Mark, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks, Mike. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's podcast episode. Once again, thank you to Mark from Green Monster Landscapes to join me on this episode and answering all my questions that I had for him here. If you haven't already, 
Apple Podcasts rating and review, I would very much appreciate that. And if you're on Spotify, I would very much appreciate a rating there. It's as quick as two clicks on Spotify. And on Apple, you can do it as just the same amount of time, but you can also add a written review, which I will get to reading the written reviews on future episodes. So thank you if you've done that. And if you are looking for GPS tracking in your hardscaping business, reach out to GPS Track It at GPS Track It on Instagram or gpstrackit.com. Thank you to Inlight Outdoor Lighting if you're looking for landscape lighting in your business. Reach out to them, I-N-L-I-T-E Design. That's Inlight Design on Instagram and Cycle CPA. If you're looking for bookkeeping, accounting, CFO services, that's CycleCPA.com. Let them know how to Hardscape sent you for $200 off their services there. And we look forward to meeting with you next week on the How to Hardscape podcast.